Hey everybody, it is June 7th, almost summer, very exciting. I think school's over for most of our students and alumni, uh, are now alumni. Thank you everybody so much for joining us on the schmooze of the Jewish Grad Student Initiative. We are here with Gary Schoenstein. Gary, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on today. My pleasure. Gary, if you can get us started with your, your bio in three minutes or less, we'd love to hear your story and how you got to where you are today. Okay, yeah, just to summarize my bio, um, uh, I uh, grew up in Columbus, Ohio, uh, fairly observant family, although not orthodox, and um, was uh, um, went to the business school at The Ohio State University. I always knew that I wanted to be a businessman, actually had got a degree in accounting, which I thought would be very helpful, and it has been. Um, and my father originally was uh, actually a furniture salesman. They had, he was in a family business. He was one of nine children. My grandfather, bless him, memory, had, memory had 29 grandchildren. So I've only got seven right now only and I'm behind them. But uh, we, uh, they, they grew up, uh, really my dad was born before the depression, 1928. So they, they, we, we uh, he worked very hard and the families always worked hard. And um, he decided to go into building in the 60s. At that time, there was advantageous financing. And um, so I was born in 1951, I'm 72. And I, as a teenager, I started to see uh, real estate development a little bit. And, and I thought I would really like that. I think that everyone should follow their passion if they can. It, it's great if you're passionate about what you're doing and it's not even considered work. And um, so I started learning, especially the multifamily and the for rent business, you know, basically in Ohio and the Midwest, and um, also worked quite a bit in single family homes. I was one of the original officers of uh, what's now MI Homes, a public company, MHO, which my brother Bob, who I'm very close to, is the CEO, and he's doing a wonderful job there. And uh, just uh, have a 50-year career uh, building and... Um, when I was with, uh, I was with both a public company and my homes and on their board and also, so that gave me some experience. And then I also uh, simultaneously had uh, private companies, uh, various names and various partnerships and um, uh, totally uh, separated from the public company in around 2000, they passed the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. So it was the right thing to do. Although we had, we had been following uh, uh, the law, you know, explicitly before then. And uh, so I've had a pretty good experience in development uh, of residential, all types of residential, um, single family homes, condominiums for rent projects, uh, multifamily, obviously, and then um, other real estate uh, had some experience in office or retail or and that type of thing, but nowhere near as much land sales. Uh, but I've done a variety of stuff. And uh, it's my 50th year in business and uh, have built in, in quite a few markets, including several in Florida recently. I'm now a Florida resident, although I spend about half the year in Ohio and half the year in the Palm Beach, Florida area. And uh, so I've got kind of the best of both worlds there. And uh, as far as Judaism goes, both of the areas that I'm in have really had a lot of opportunities to um, you know, be, uh, be, you know, practice Judaism and to follow my faith and have my family be involved. So um, really feel blessed about uh, 
what my career's been like and what my personal life's been like. And um, I have a wonderful wife. I've been married uh, only 37 years, but uh, we have four children and um, just our, our most recent uh, granddaughter was born uh, five weeks ago. So what a blessing. Well, thank you so much for that bio, Gary. Must have on your granddaughter being uh, born. That's such, that's such great news. Um, going to real estate for a second, we already see the real estate industry going in the Midwest, in, um, in Florida. Uh, just looking at the current trends, where, where do you see it heading? Well, real estate as a whole is a wonderful career. The tax laws are wonderful. Uh, even if you're paying ordinary income, even if you're uh, involved in whatever, um, real estate as a whole has been wonderful uh, for developers. There's a lot of advantageous laws, both capital gains and depreciation. Many, many uh, things are, are a big advantage there. So it's a great field that way. Uh, also, you're pretty much able to stay ahead of the demand. It's a supply demand situation. And it's like, there's always gonna be, um, there's always, you might have to be innovative and you might have to change your product types, but it's not gonna be like buggy whips and it's not gonna be like other things that become obsolete. There's always a need for housing in particular, rough over people's head. Very important part of their life is where they live. So uh, some of the, the, the trends, uh, there's a lot higher interest rates, a lot tougher banking regulations today uh, it's probably as difficult as it's been in, in maybe 15 years. And, and really, the interest rates and the inflation are, are as bad as they were when they were horrible in the late 70s. Uh, they're not quite that bad, but they're, uh, they've certainly in a bad trend there. And I think it's going to uh, hurt the economy and hurt a lot of individuals. There's Supposedly, a lot of people have mortgages, commercial mortgages, and also personal. They're going to be expiring, and uh, they're going to be raised or not renewed or re reconstrained or resized. And so it's probably going to send the country into uh, a lot of people are predicting recession and a downturn or slower times or more difficult economy. Um, you know, inflation's been pretty bad the last year or two, much higher than what they're reporting in my, in our industry, at least. And uh, so, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll maybe be able to get back to uh, the prosperity that we had had, you know, in the, in the late part of the last decade and so on and so forth. Gary, what do you see as being the biggest hurdle for people in real estate these days? Is it the cities at the state is it too much red tape um you know what are the biggest hurdles and how do you overcome those hurdles well there's a lot more steps on the ladder i think in almost everybody's career you know when i was starting there were there were fewer steps on the ladder but you always did have to climb the ladder and work hard and there's our our industry is divided into so many different facets you mentioned one would be like approvals approvals to be able to build to go vertical and I'm a builder, I, I go vertical, I, I construct vertically, I don't buy existing properties or manage existing properties like a lot of my friends and associates do. So uh, you ha we have to get approvals and the municipalities and the governmental entities, as far as approvals and entitlements are uh, much, much stricter today than they ever were and much more, um, I think stricter is a good word, there's some other words too. 
that you might use that aren't as pleasant, but you have to work a lot of long time and you have to um, expend a lot of upfront money that you may never even get back to get things approved today. They're, they're much more difficult and they're not as user friendly for almost everybody even if you're just building your own single family home or you wanna uh, renovate your office or you wanna remodel or whatever, uh, the government does have a lot of regulations and they got the, their nose in your business. Not that they always haven't. As far as actually construction, there's a lot of challenges and costs. Some of the costs have gone really high today, but they've, they were even going up even more than inflation really over the past 20 or 30 years there's some labor shortages and there's a lot of regulations too that add costs to, to development and building. The codes of, uh, in many cases, have been, become overkill. Some, some of the code changes which are more expensive are obviously very good for construction and safety and so on and so forth, but some have uh, uh, just overkill what they want you to put in. And, um, there's uh, uh, then as far as, as management and operations, especially in our business where we're dealing with thousands of residents where they live, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more liability and risk in that. There's a lot more policies that have to change. It's a, it's a different world today. Obviously we've adapted to social media and we've adapted to um, how everything is exposed. And um, there's, um, so nothing's as easy as it used to be, but it's still a wonderful profession in a great country. In terms of the, the challenge that you're worried about, you know, what's, what's keeping you up at night? What are, what are the biggest challenges that you feel like are, are currently existing in your business? Well, I'm not really being kept up at night, luckily, because we've, we've been really successful. If you happen to look at our website, we, we've actually sold a lot of our properties over the last years, we were in a really good cash position. We've, we, we would really be way up there as far as number of units or value of the portfolio, but we decided to cash is always king. And, uh, you know, kind of in preparation for some of these uncertain times we've got over the next couple of years, I'm really hopeful that the end of this decade will be a prosperous time in the country. Maybe uh, not to mention, you know, different leadership, but, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the borrowing money, uh, just, you know, when you're, when you're not a public company and where you're, when you're building, you're, you're signing personally on a lot of debts. So you go to bed every night owing banks a lot of money. Uh, fortunately for us, we've never been late one day on any payment with any bank, even, even uh, having been one of the larger condominium builders. Uh, you know, 10 to 12 years ago, and uh, we, we still didn't have any problems with, um, you know, paying off our loans and being honest about them and, and following through with the banks. So I think that banking still is more of the challenge. And uh, they banks have always been happy to loan you money if you can prove you don't need it. With the current uh, um, sort of uncertainty that's happening with, with smaller banks, how is that going to affect the real estate market? It's going to be harder to get a loan. Um, love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, well, we we actually are have several really large developments, and we're in for a couple of loans now with some really big banks that we've had a great relationship for many years. And they're either because they're the regulators or their internal uh, 
parameters are they're much tougher on uh, what they're willing to lend. They want people to put much more equity down. The rates that they're we're paying today are at least four percent or five percent more. So that's money that you'll never recap. It, it, it just hits your bottom line big time. Um, I think it's going to actually hurt unemployment because I don't think as many people will be building in the industry. Um, the country was supposed to pass an infrastructure act, and I believe they did, but I really haven't seen a lot that a lot of that money spent on poor highways around all these cities and poor bridges and poor infrastructure and bad airports and all of this stuff that they were supposed to be doing. Um, so um, uh, that would have helped the economy a lot and that would have even helped the construction worker and suppliers and so on. Um, I think a lot of it's tough to find suppliers. We've got some products that we only can talk to one company because there isn't anyone else to talk to and that company has to make sure they can control their labor and that they're paying their bills and that they can get a bank loan on their products and that they can they can have inventory and when they ship things in there's there's been delays things aren't coming in as quick um and anytime you know to the extent that you've got china involved like everybody knows they are and some other stuff it's it just adds it adds some issues to the challenges um on one hand though um where we build, we've been really fortunate to spend a lot of time in land acquisition and land analysis. So we've got some really wonderful locations and we really are dealing with some great municipalities that have been supportive. Uh, luckily, we've developed a good relationship and a good reputation. We've kept our word and they have confidence that we're gonna come through and we're gonna be a really good addition to the community. So uh, that's uh, the other thing that we've got and that, that I want to I want to pay tribute to my late father Irving Schottenstein. He um he 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 instilled in all of us that you have to treat your customers right. And we've got a really we've got a really strong goal um, that we want our residents to be very happy. We have a money back guarantee that anyone can get out of the lease if they're just not happy. We're happy to let them out of a con lease contract, um, but we haven't had to use that fortunately and. Uh, but we, we really want to treat people well and to have them say good things about us. And I think that really helps. Um, one of the challenges today is, is, is because of social media, uh, a lot of people try to make purchase decisions online. I actually don't, I think, don't think you could really buy real estate online. I think it's very difficult. If you do, you're maybe more apt to make a poor decision. People get on Zillow or they get on the other sites and they try to look at property. You got to look at things eye to eye, ear to ear, or you might make a, dis, a mistake. If you're renting, it's probably a short term mistake. It might be a one year lease. Maybe you made a mistake in the wrong location. But when you're buying, you know, you, you know, you're pretty much, uh, you know, pregnant with the home, and so to speak. And you better be be really careful. Uh, I know of a lot of incidents where people made mistakes and they may have to end up selling their home, even in these good times for less than they, um, than they paid for it. Most of the time though, the last year has been phenomenal and almost it's been a real seller's market and sellers have been selling their homes even more than brokers have listed them. And they've had multiple offers and a lot of people trying to buy homes have lost out because they haven't, they haven't said right away when they saw a home they liked, they should have said, I'm gonna take it. 
you should always, if you like something, don't hem haw around, take it, take it. You don't want to hog it off the market, but you always have that night to decide if you're really going to do it. And uh, many times people have even offered above list price and they lost it to someone who offered more above list price. So in many markets, it's very competitive if a good product comes up and the good products are, don't forget the minority of the products, someone uh, that's purchasing themselves better be pretty aggressive, know what they want and be able to make a snap decision. I don't think you can do that. I think that a lot of things are better off eye to eye, ear to ear. Like for instance, I think if you're interviewing for a job and you think you're even gonna do it with Zoom, or you think you're gonna do it you know, back and forth, even on LinkedIn or something like that, your chances of getting that job are fewer and less, unless you're in the room with someone and you can sell yourself. You can only sell being smart and having a good personality and a team player in person, in my opinion. So if someone's really looking for a job, try to get in the door. If you're trying to sell someone, let's say you're a salesperson trying to sell, you know how many emails I get a day when someone wants to, me to look at their product, whatever the product is. Tremendous amount of product, high tech, they all sound the same. They have no chance of selling to me unless they get in the door, not even on the phone. You know, you have to see eye to eye, ear to ear is always the best way to sell and lease, in my opinion. So the purpose is, is almost give someone no information so they can come out and meet with you. Uh, you know, you're, you have to entice them to, to, be, to get into a one-on-one -on -one situation. You know, the best, the best personnel employees you're ever going to hire are going to be people that, that, that can meet you and see you. That's always an advantage. And really, even in your field and other fields, you know, this personal contact is kind of going away now because of the high-tech world we live in. And I know it's difficult when people live in other cities and so on, but... Um, it uh, almost everything I see, even even hobbies, even charitable organizations, even things that you like to do, you have a better chance of enjoying it or being successful if you actually meet one on one with a person. Always get in front of the person. Even even today's nature of business has changed, where you have employees and coworkers all over the country. But there's nothing like meeting somebody eye to eye over a, a coffee or a beer, right? Yeah, if, if uh, let's say, do you ever get asked for a charitable donation? Do you ever ask someone for a charitable donation? I'm asking. I'm a rabbi. That. I've done both. <laughs> I'm asking a dumb question. Are you going to get more if you're in the door with them? Or are you going to get more on the phone? Or are you going to get more if you write a letter? You know what the answer is. In person, for sure. Yeah. It's all, always the personal contact that I would recommend for almost anything. Frankly, if you have a doctor appointment, you can talk to the doctor on the phone, but you better, you're better off right there in the waiting room or right there in the office talking to them. Gary, if you can talk for a second, just focus on at selling yourself. What are some characteristics if you were hiring somebody that you'd want to see in that person selling themselves? Uh, well, it's pretty interesting because our field, I never ask someone if they have a college degree. I know most of your, the listeners probably do. They may even have a postgraduate degree. In some of the real estate and construction fields, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you went to Harvard or Ohio State or Columbus State or some other school like that. It's just, it's really the person it's, that's going to make the difference. It's maybe not the degree that I think it once was. Maybe in some fields, it makes a difference. I don't even know if in law firms it makes, it makes a difference because a lot of the lawyers, and believe me, 
I've had a lot of dealings with lawyers, even, even, you know, just over the, we have lawyers, environmental lawyers and contract lawyers and finance lawyers and zoning lawyers, human, uh, you know, you know, human resource attorneys. I mean, in every field, there's a specialist today. Most lawyers don't know other areas, but it doesn't mean that just because they went to Harvard or they went to an Ivy League school that they're going to do be better at their career. It helps in some careers, doesn't help in a lot of careers. So I always try to look for someone that's a self-starter, self-motivator. And, and uh, this is something I'll add. I think that every person, especially if this audience is younger, maybe, maybe they're younger, I think people should be activists. And when I say activists, I'm not talking about a rabble rouser or somebody that's a troublemaker, but I think some people should find their passions and really get involved in it. Um, I think that uh, it can be a Jewish cause, it can be a general community cause or a charitable cause or sports or any type of field. I think you should become what I call an activist. Throw yourself into it because I think that that'll help you. I think it'll come back to you in your career and your personal and give you a lot of rewards. I don't feel there's any place for it in a company atmosphere. I think a company atmosphere, someone can be involved politically no matter what party you're involved in. You can be involved in a charity. You can be involved in this cause or that. I, I don't like to mix that with office people. I don't think you do that. I don't think it's proper. I think let people have their own lives. But I think that, that uh, outside of the office, I think if you network and you, you're passionate about something, I think it'll come back to you in your career and help you in your career in many ways. Uh, you never know what, you know, it's sometimes it's a small world, but uh, uh, I think if you pursue things that you like and, and you, you know, I think you should do that. I think people should do a lot of giving back and be involved and volunteer and be involved in committees, not to interrupt their, their um, your career, that's probably that's probably a no-no to bring that stuff to the office, you know, and try to convert someone to vote for your candidate or do this. I think you leave that out of the office. The other thing is you've got to leave home as your personal problems. Uh, I've seen more people sink because they just they have too much high highs or low lows, or they're always bringing some personal stuff to the office. Leave your personal stuff. Everybody has some happiness and some everybody has some travails leave it away when you come to work put your mind on your in your focus on what you're doing and don't get the five calls a day from your spouse you know don't get called and bugged so much uh even if you have personal issues you know it's going to take you down if you you're not going to be as productive if you lose your focus it's pretty hard to multitask and focus a lot i see a lot of people trying to do that gary I think one of the things that's been kind of the saddest uh, results from the COVID period was that uh, young lady, young man walking into a, their um, executive's office and getting that mentorship. And mentorship is such a big part in a lot of our young students and young, you know, especially young um, attorneys' um, minds and hearts. Uh, it's sort of been lacking the last few years. How, how big and how important has mentorship been to you? You mentioned your father. What are some of the biggest lessons that you learn um, from either your father or the, a mentor in your life? Well, um, I actually learned a lot by observing and even on my own. I think you have to be on your own. In today's world, you really have ability to read a lot of things about different areas. You can almost Google or research anything. It's a lot more there without going there. I, I frankly, 
if I was interested in, um, let's say, a wonderful project in Charleston, South Carolina, today you don't have to travel there. You know, you probably can check it out online and maybe talk to the architect or do different things that you can learn about different why they did it or what this innovation was. You know, you know how and, and you know, you don't have to do that as much. So mentoring, I kind of was a little bit self-mannered just to, I hate to say the school of hard knocks, but just sometimes trial and error. And, um, you know, just, just try, Ryan also, um, I kind of believe, I like calling them specialists and consultants. I think that, that sometimes a consulting money, while the good ones are all high, sometimes if they blow you away with a price, that means they're good. That means you're going to learn something that's going to pay off. But I always like to, um, I, I feel that I almost know as much as most accountants today when it comes to especially real estate accounting, uh, even, even banking, you know, banking terms, even lawyer terms. If uh, they could call me, a lawyer could call me if there was a dispute on the Tenant Landlord Act in, in the state, and I probably know the state law better than they do. So a lot of this stuff you learn by, uh, you know, by, by going through the experience and um, but learn your field and learn learn a variety of the field. You think when when I started out, I knew anything about storm sewers and sanitary sewers and road improvements and pavements and gravel and road you know road rights of way and easements and this and that. Heck no. Yeah, but now I think I know it pretty well. You think I knew about basements and weep holes and you know blocks and and window wells and access and and all sorts of this and, and stair treads and risers. And in my field, you've got to really know a lot about everything. And it, it only, it takes time. You're not going to maybe be a giant success for your first five, 10, 15 years, but you stick with it and you're patient, you know, that's, you want to do it. Let me say one more thing too, before I forget it. I'm a big proponent when you look at your career of, of trying to always control your own destiny and work for yourself down the road. You mentioned mentorship, so that usually means working for another company and learning the, from that company, trying to pick their brain or pick a person's brain, learn everything they know, maybe seeing your own way to do it. But I would, I think that by the time you get to be a certain age or stage, you ought to try to have your own business or your own career, control your own destiny. I would hate to work for someone else at 55 or 60 years at old and think about getting laid off. You know, when you're laid off at 60, 61, two, I have a friend of mine and he's selling clothes at Brooks Brothers right now and he's 77 years old. So I think you, um, you if you can control your own destiny, uh, you know, plan your career to try to work for yourself, uh, be a self-motivator. The other thing, if you do that, you probably have a chance to do extracurricular stuff. Uh, we happen to have what I think is a really liberal program where people can do their personal stuff. If you have a medical dental appointment, do it. If you want to see your grandkids play soccer, go do it. Uh, so on and so forth. If you want to, you know, take off for the second day of Passover, do it. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're, we're very unrestrictive that way. We give people a lot of freedom. But when you work for yourself, you really can do it. If you want to get in the car and go take your grandkids skiing or you want to do this or that, uh, you certainly have a lot more flexibility that way. Um, and so um, we, uh, you know, if you want to, it's nice to be able to control your own destiny. Most people can't do that when you're younger. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, lastly, and last question from us, Gary. Oh, I have two more questions, actually. Um, first one is, what has been the biggest challenge in your life? Um, maybe it's a failure or mistake you made. What did you learn from it? And what can we all today learn from that? Um, well, the biggest, the biggest challenge is, I think, generally speaking, I, I, let me mention one thing. I'm not sure family businesses work anymore. I think if you're working in a family business, and I'm not saying this was my challenge because it really wasn't, but I really looked at this pretty closely and even some, you know, family, and we have a lot of different businesses in our, our, our extended family, but family businesses are really tough. Uh, sometimes it's not the first group that is partners. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, a second wife, ex-wife, ch child of the partner upon death, upon this. So family businesses, I don't think make it for the most part, uh, unless it's really great and someone's very subservient to the other partner. A partner too can be tough. A lot of people have had trouble with partners. We've been fortunate, but I have so many friends, especially in Florida, they have a lot of partners and from New York and there's no connotation I'm trying to say there or the East Coast and a partner can be a jerk with a pen. And so you have to be really careful. Um, there's a Yiddish word I could have used instead of jerk, but I didn't. Uh, but you have to be really careful about a partner. Um, another challenge I did is I should have gone, I should have done more ownership in my first 20 years rather than Work, working, doing servicing work like sales, lease ups, broker, brokerage training. I think you make the most by owning something and whatever field it is, you know, if you, if you want to be an artist, if you want to be, uh, you know, a restaurateur, you're going to make more by owning your, your business or your, your field rather than just working in it. Because owning it gives you a chance to build up the asset and um, you know, start to build an estate because I don't care what you say, and 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 a lot of things, money, money isn't the main goal. You know, happiness is someone is rich that's happy with their own lot, right? From the Talmud, uh, great great philosophy, uh, and a lot of rich people never become happy, as we all know. The richest person in the room is the one that's content. But um, I think that. Uh, um, I think you. I think that you should start to plan, and especially the younger people. That hey, I'm probably going to live to be 100, 110, 120. I want to run out of money at 99. You know. You know. So you have to start to think. I need to. I need to be a little bit maybe more money oriented than I used to be. You know. You want to be happy and love going to work every day or love doing what you're doing, but I think that you want to try to build build up something that'll be helpful to you. Imagine, you know the dilemma that someone has if they need an operation, maybe it's a life-saving operation and they don't have the money for it. Or maybe their loved one has it. That's, I would be happy to try to help somebody out in that dilemma, yeah. but it's tough. Last question for me, Gary, which is what does being Jewish mean to you? And uh, feel comfortable answering that any which way you'd like. Thank you for that question. Uh, it's a wonderful question, Dave. And, uh, it obviously means a tremendous amount to me, uh, not just because of my belief in God. I do pray every day, maybe not as diligent as some people. And I do, I do even try to study Torah every day. Luckily, I can do that online with some, some pretty good rabbis just briefly. But and I try to live by it. But 
To me, meeting Jewish is a really big responsibility. Uh, it's an obligation uh, that we were chosen to be a holier people, to be a light into the nations. We have an obligation, in my opinion, to, to try to be honest, to try to have integrity, to try to treat our neighbors and love our neighbors as ourselves. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and I think that uh, for the most part, Jews have historically been wonderful at that. We came especially into this country and we, we, we contributed so much. And unfortunately, like, you know, the, when somebody Jewish is a pariah or um, let me just use, I shouldn't use the word like a Madoff type or somebody like that, but when someone does a lot of wrong and, and, and evil, um, I think sometimes they're blamed or we're blamed for it more because they are Jewish rather than non-Jewish. So I think so. I think people actually feel that most Jews should be held to a higher standard of ethics and honesty and kindness and goodness. I still believe in that. I think that uh, we've made tremendous inroads. It's a whole nother. It's a whole nother podcast on on how successful and well we've done in this country and how good this country's been to us. And um, even with some trends, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful, you know, wonderful success story. And uh, with, with, you know, with a lot of freedom and a lot of, uh, a lot of great accomplishments. So as far as that, my personally, you know, I try to live my life, you know, following, uh, you know, being kind and good to other people and, and treating them as I'd, I want to be treated. And in business, I do that all the time. And it's really actually, I think, helped me with non-Jewish people. I think they, they see that if you're honest and I, I and you know, and I, 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 I like to find out about their faith too. And I've heard a lot about Christianity and some other religions. And I, I listen devoutly to listen to what they're saying. I just treat them with respect. It's a free country. Everybody's entitled to their own political opinion, their political party, their religion. And let's keep it that way. Thanks, Gary. Okay, we're up to our quick fire round. These are one word answers. You ready? Sure. Favorite movie of all time? Well, it's not one word. It'd have to be The Godfather if it was one word. But my favorite movie of all time, I'll go traditional, Gone with the Wind. <laughs> <laughs> Great movie. Uh, best series you watched this year? This year, actually, I've, I've re-watched a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasms, which are always funny. <laughs> but the new series that we watched, I liked The Diplomat recently. Great movie. Great, great show. Um, favorite place to vacation? Well, when I live in Palm Beach and I'm a Florida resident, it's a little bit like a paradise vacation. And I'm really not much of a traveler. So I would have to say, I would have to say Florida, even though I live there. That's great. Um, most frequented app on your phone? Most frequented app? Well, it, probably the weather, but I'm a giant uh, Ohio State Buckeyes fan. So there's an Ohio State Bucknuts 24-7 app that I'm on quite a bit and have a lot of involvement with it. Um, both my family and me have been involved in a lot of organizations. And um, we're fortunate that uh, the main street going into the university up there where all of the facilities are is called Irving Schottenstein Drive, named after my father. That's so so nice. that was that was quite a uh, an honor and a privilege to be able to do that. Favorite Jewish holiday. Favorite Jewish holiday. 
I I bet most people say Passover, Pesach. Favorite Jewish, you know, fa favorite. It's a holiday of freedom. Favorite Jewish food. Well, I'm not eating corned beef much anymore. There's fat, fatty meats there. You know, where can you find a good deli? Have your readers come in and tell me about any good delis. There really isn't even any in Florida. It's crazy. I wonder if there's any in Tel Aviv. But uh, favorite Jewish food, uh, I, I think I'm going to say, it's really not a bagel either. Uh, is a bagel Jewish food? It's more, that's more of an, a regular food. That's more of a cultural food now. Um, all right, I'll say chopped liver. Lastly, what is one word you, um, what is one word you most associate with Jewish? The Torah. Gary, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Schmooze. Everybody stay safe and healthy. Have a great first uh, month of summer. And Gary, really, we appreciate you doing this so much. Thank you, really. My pleasure. Thank you. And good best of luck to anybody listening and just be be confident in themselves. So I'll leave you with one, one quick. You, you got 30 more seconds? Yeah. Remember how God God promised Abraham prompt that, that the children would be like the stars in the sky and the sand and the well, a star is bright on its own. So all every Jew should be a star and they can be bright individually. But a sand is nothing unless we're all united as a group. Sand has to be with other sand on the beach. So we have the we have the really uh, privilege and to be able to do both. Let's be stars on our own, but let's be part of the sand and we'll, we'll, we'll be strong. I love that. Gary, thank you so much for that. That was great. Okay. All right. Bye everybody. Thanks, Gary.